Amen. The kids, right? The kids now are dismissed to go with Miss Kristen to Children's Church. In a couple of weeks, we'll be celebrating our 30th birthday as a church. Uh, the weekend of the 22nd and the 23rd on Saturday. Please put this day aside. At 4 o'clock, we're going to be doing a celebration barbecue. In the Bible, they killed the fatted calf. We're going to kill the fatted pig. We have a pig roast ready to go, and that's going to be outside at 4 o'clock. Then at 6 o'clock, Ellie Holcomb will be coming to do a concert right here in this room. Ellie will be celebrating our 30th birthday. If you were here for our 10th birthday, you remember GLAD. The group GLAD came to help us celebrate. And if you were here for our 20th birthday, you remember the group GLAD came to help us celebrate. Well, GLAD broke up, so uh, we're going to have to go a different direction for our 30th birthday. But on the Sunday morning, uh, I'll be bringing the word, and we got some surprises, so you don't want to miss this, and we're going to then rededicate our vows to the Lord as a church, all right? So that's coming up in a few weeks. Sound good? So, so we're going to share today um, about godly moms and grateful children and men. There's going to be a lot in this for you, so you can't go to sleep. It's in the yellow sheets. We're going to look at um, a woman by the name of Hannah. And Hannah is introduced to us in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, we find this godly mother by the name of Hannah. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you probably have heard about Hannah. And we're going to hear about it today. She appears as a childless woman in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. But she's going to become a mother by faith. And she becomes a mother. In fact, she becomes the mother of Samuel. And Samuel played a key role in between the time in Israel when there were judges and then the kings came. Up until now, Israel has gone through the cycle of judges, one judge after another. They would go their wayward ways, then they'd come back to the Lord. When a judge came on the scene, judges like Gideon and Barak and others, and they would come back to the Lord, then they would forget God again and go down the tubes, and then another judge would be raised up. Well, Samson is the last judge, and so since Samson has been gone, things are not going well. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, the temple has become a place of debauchery. There's no temple, but the tabernacle, and this place, Shiloh, temple is not built yet until the, until the kings come along. But the place where they go to meet God is called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant has been defiled by the people who are not taking worshiping seriously. And it's a time of turmoil. It's a time of confusion. We might say spiritual degeneracy. It's a time of corruptness in the priesthood. It's a sad and tragic period in Israel's history. And 1 Samuel 3.1 actually says there was really no prophetic, no prophetic word being heard. And when it says prophetic word, we're not talking about words for the future. We're talking about truth for today. A prophetic word is not just a word for tomorrow. It's a truth for today. We need prophetic words at such a time as this because we are being bombarded by lies. And the lies are, are, are tickling the ears of those Christians that are starting to Go wayward, because they're getting away from the truth. Remember, it's the truth that sets you free. And so, just like in those days, God is going to raise up a new spokesman for him. 
But before he raises up that spokesman, Samuel, he does a wonderful work in a little family uh, that, that consists of Elkanah, Peninnah, and Hannah. Okay? So we're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel 1. It's in your notes. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but I'm going to give you a little background here so that we can get ready for what God wants to say. So speak to us now, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit so we can hear exactly what you want to say to all of us today. Bless the women. Thank you for them. May this day be a day that we call them special and we celebrate who they are in Jesus' name. For Samuel 1, there was a certain man from Ramathim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Joham, and son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man, Elkanah, went up from this town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, Peninnah, provoked her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Sometimes, guys, when we ask that question, we don't get the answer we want, but you know. But don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow, promise, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk. Because that's what was happening during these days. People were coming to a place of worship, uh, ready to wine and dine and do anything but worship, okay? So she says, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I haven't been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. We'll stop there. In chapter 1, 1 Samuel 1, the first question is, why does Elkanah have two wives? Isn't that against God's principles? Absolutely. You know, you see these men all through the Old Testament with more than one wives. But you need to understand that God never ordained that or blessed that. But that was one of the things of the culture. Remember, God was always telling us, don't let the culture squeeze you into doing what they do, especially when it's against what I say. And you know all through the Bible, we see godly men who don't pay attention to this principle and add more than one wife. David, Solomon, I mean, think about it. 
But I want you to hear that it's always been God's purpose, and this goes right back to the beginning of Genesis, that a man, one man, and one woman should be united together. Now, I don't know about you, but one wife for me is plenty. I have never said, boy, I wish I would have five more. No, nope, 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 nope. I also want you to see that Elkanah was a godly man, just like David, who was a godly man, just like, you know, uh, Solomon, who was a guy. But they still had sins and, and, and trials and, 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 and imperfections in their life. Here's what I want you to see, because sometimes, you know, we say, I, I know a lot of my friends who, I thought you were perfect, and you don't do those things. And I say, I'm a Christian because I'm not perfect. I'm a Christian because I need Jesus to clean me up. I can't do it myself. We don't make excuses for our sin, but we also don't pretend to be sinless. Because if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, we lie. So we don't celebrate our sin, but we also don't hide the fact that God is still what? We're all under construction. God is still working on me as he was working on Elkanah. So Elkanah... Two wives, one too many, and uh, he is, is an important part, that's why men, I want you to pay attention, because he's an important part of this story. And I want to share with you a couple, this would make a wonderful Bible, so I really would love an hour and a half, I'm not going to get it, but I want to give you some viewpoints of why Hannah is a godly woman. Before she's a godly mother, she's a what? godly woman. Before you can be a godly father, you need to be a godly man. Before you can be a godly, you know, husband, you need to be a godly man. And Elkanah is a godly man. So principle number one is Hannah, even though Peninnah was part of the scene, had a healthy relationship with her husband. Her husband was involved in Hannah's life and cared very deeply about what was happening in Hannah's world. So she had a right relationship. And, and one of the things they shared, and I love this, is that they shared worship together. How often the old stereotype was that the women brought the kids to church while the men, just think of the Waltons, I think of the Waltons. You know, Olivia brought the kids to church and John stayed Home, giving the idea that real men don't worship. Real men, and that couldn't be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, what I love about this is that Elkanah made sure that they worshiped as a family. They worshiped together. Look at verse 3. Year after year, Elkanah went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Shiloh at that time was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. Where the Ark of the Covenant was, the Shekinah glory of God came down. So God's Ark was in Shiloh, and so God's presence was there. The sons of Eli, Eli's the high priest, were Hophni and Phinehas. And, and it was prescribed to all Jewish individuals through the law that had already come through Moses that three times a year, no matter what, three times a year, they must make a pilgrimage to worship God at Shiloh, okay? So 
we learn that Hannah was married not to a perfect man, no perfect people allowed, but to a man who worshipped God. And that is really godly women and godly children flourish when a man steps up and leads the way to worship. Can, can I get an amen? Men, we depend, and women, you know, I was talking this morning to Sharon Press. Women, you guys are incredibly strong. You know, you have a strength that we men sometimes marvel at. I have never said to Terry, I wish I could know what it's like to have a baby on the inside of me. I have witnessed childbirth, and I have said over and over again, no thank you. But there is something about a strength that God gives women that's incredible. And I marvel at it. And I let, I let my wife, my kids know that, that you guys are incredibly strong. But there's also a, a, a problem. One of the problems that men have is that we, at times, will say, go ahead and lead. Men get lazy. Let's just face facts. And when a woman leads, there are times, that's why the God, God has to say, step it up, men. Because men have a tendency to, Adam in the garden was standing right next to Eve. Right now, what? He wasn't in another part of the garden, standing right next to Eve and did absolutely nothing about the fruit. You see what I'm saying? And so, men, it is not a wimpy thing to worship. As a matter of fact, you are never showing greater strength when you lead the way for your family to worship God. And that is something that we need to celebrate. One of the things I celebrate about the Lighthouse Church is the number of men who are not afraid to stand up for Jesus, okay? And I bless God for that. I bless God for every woman, but I know it's so much easier for the ladies when they don't have to do it, what? By themselves. And you know, Hannah is married to a man who is a worshiper of God. Elkanah was committed to worshiping God together. There's another thing I've seen in our culture that troubles me a little bit. You know, this is a, this is a hard Mother's Day for my dear wife. Like many of you, this is her first Mother's Day without mom on the planet. Her mom passed right before Thanksgiving. It's also the last Mother's Day that Joel will be officially home. I say officially home because they always come back, don't they? But anyway... <laughs> Joel graduates from tech. So it'll be the first time, this fall will be the first time since 1986 that we will have an empty nest. So I know that there's some, you know, there's, women grieve in a different way than men do. But I'm here to tell you that one of the things that Terry and I agreed together, we said play sports, we said get involved in community, get involved in school, you know, we're never going to hold you back from your passions and your interests, but there is one non-negotiable. You're going to church. Until you, you know, leave the house, we worship as a family. We don't worship in shifts. We don't worship, you know, and so sometimes people say, how could you do that? Because, because sometimes, let, let's just use common sense. If you gave you, if I gave you a choice to do everything, how many of you would choose the hard thing? without somebody kind of nudging you. I mean, when I was little, I was made to eat vegetables. All right? I was never made to eat ice cream. Ice cream came easy. Pizza, nobody had to make. Vegetables, yes. If my mother would have gave me a choice, 
I would have said no thanks. But I ate them. And I like them to this day. Don't assume, you know, sometimes just because you're made to do something that that's going to turn out bad. Because I still order liver and onions at a diner because my mom made it and I ate it. <laughs> and I like it. And so taste and see that the Lord, he is good. So I would encourage you parents to not leave it up to your children whether they go to church, but they also need to see your example. You can't say go to church and you're sleeping in. It's like telling your kids to pray, but you, they never hear you say anything to Jesus. Does that make sense? And so Elkanah, back to Elkanah, he is leading by what? He is leading by example. If you want your family to talk about Jesus, they need to see you talk to Jesus. Okay? So Hannah had a believing husband. Hannah, they not only shared worship for God together, they shared a genuine love for one another. They loved, him. They loved each other. That's not a bad thing, right? Husband and wife, they loved each other. Verses 4 and 5. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Now here's an interesting thing. Whenever a Jewish individual would go to sacrifice, you'd offer a portion of your sacrifice to God, but a portion of it you would also take back so you could have a holy banquet later in the day to celebrate God. And so, and so why did Hannah get a double portion? Why, was she thin? No. It, it, the reason is you, you always, listen to me, you always gave a double portion to the one at the table you considered an honored guest. Sometimes we only honor people once a year. And I'm here to tell you, when you honor each other, first we honor God, right? Honor your father and mother. But you also need to honor one another. And Elkanah honored his wife, Hannah, as a special guest, even though she was a frequent guest at the table. Does that make sense? He said, I love you. By doing this, he said, I want you to know how loved you are. And how much I love you in spite of the fact that we have no children together. In spite of the fact that you feel terrible. And in spite of the fact Penina rubs it in. Hannah knew that even though her womb was empty, her heart was filled. Trials and tribulations are going to happen to everybody, right? I can't promise you won't go through some really, really intense and hard times. But those times are always a little easier when you know you're loved. Just knowing that somebody loves you. Just knowing that somebody cares about you. Even in a day, like many of you, that your spouse is not able to go in with you to see the doctor. Terry's never been able to go in and, and, and do the radio or even be there. But I know that I'm loved, which gives me the strength to what? Keep on keeping on. And, and what I love about these two is that they not only said I love you, they expressed it. Ephesians 5, man, it tells us, love your wives. Love your wives. In verse 5 of 1 Samuel 1, he loved Hannah. And it wasn't just expressed in feelings, it was expressed in, in action. Kindness in action. 
And, and that is something I know that, that all of us could do better. You know, we're so busy sometimes, and, 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 and so many times we're bending over backwards to please people who don't give a hoot about us. And while we're bending over backwards to give them our best, we're giving leftovers to the very ones who should be getting what? Prime rib. You will never err when you love your wife or husband a little more. You will never sin when you love on your children, even on, not on their birthday. When you show them grace. And I know, I, hey, I'm, I have never been embarrassed. I know I've embarrassed my kids. But I will literally yell, well, that's the way I talk, at the top of my lungs, Joel, I love you. Rudy, I love you. Leah, I love you. Abby, I love you. Because I know so many people who never heard those words. And they say it's not important that they know those words. And I'm here to tell you, absolutely it's important. That's why God, all through the scriptures, if he, if he says anything to us, he says, I love you. And, and Hannah doesn't have to worry about and wonder, does he love me? And so, in spite of the problem, Elkanah loved Hannah, and he had become for her in that love a sense of strength, security, support, confidence, and was secure. And that's what, in a crazy world, our kids, our spouse, our family, our church will be more secure when God's love is overflowing in this place, they're ready to go out of this place and live for Jesus. You see what I'm saying? And that's what it was, was so beautiful. Now verse 6 of chapter 1 shows that not everybody was uh, on uh, Hannah's side. Verse 6 says, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival. And I love how scripture says that. Because there shouldn't be two wives. It's not a good thing. They're, they're absolutely not going to get along because you only should have what? So in a sense, she's not her partner. She's not her sister. She's her rival. I love how Scripture calls it like it is. And so because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her. She's trash-talking. She's rubbing Hannah's nose in what appears to be a weakness. And she's not just doing it one and done. She keeps doing it. Over and over and over and over again. Another word of application, church. There are times when we as believers need to speak up in love when somebody doesn't recognize their sin that they're in. But when a person already knows their sin that they're in, and they're already, in a sense, battling against it, they don't need to be reminded of it time and time again. You know what I'm saying? It, it's like you're shaming somebody and, and, and rather than encouraging them and praying for them, you don't say, well, you're just going to go back and do what you've always done. See, that's, that's shaming somebody. And the church sometimes, to make somebody feel better, to make ourselves feel better, what do we do? We, we, we dump on those we should be lifting up. And so here, I love it, Penina is just, she's rubbing salt in Hannah's wound, and, and, and yet God is able to keep them going because even though her rival is giving her a hard time, her husband, her God, are right beside her 
as long as I know I'm Jesus, and as long as I know that the people who are supposed to love me, love me, I can what? I can ignore the voice of the rival. Hear what I'm saying? All right, so in verse 8, Elkanah, and I know what he means. Why are you weeping? Why are you not eating? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? He loved her. She knew it. And he knew that, that he could say, am I not good enough for you? Because every time she'd say, oh yes, Elkanah. But this is a cry of her heart. This goes deeper. And because she already knew her husband loved her, she had no problem. Because she had a proper connection with her husband, she also had a healthy connection with heaven. She, she had her own personal connection with heaven. Elkanah could not, could not intercede on Hannah's behalf. But because Elkanah was an intercessor, it gave Hannah the freedom to intercede for herself on God's, on, for God, with God on, on her behalf. Does that make sense? A lot of times, well, my grandmother was a Christian, so I guess I'm in. Nope. Thank God for your grandmother's prayers because they're going to give you a better shot to get home where you belong. But every individual in this room, if you've never said to Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you are my Savior. I want to follow you all the days of my life. If he's not my Jesus, my Savior, my Shepherd, then he's not really personal to you. And that's why it's so important that, you know, I've always said to my kids, you know, I will pray for you, I will, and my, now my grandkids, I will, I, will, I will pray for you, I will encourage you, but somewhere along the line, you've got to grab heaven for yourself. And that's what she does. Hannah has her own personal connection to heaven, and as you study the rest of chapter 1, you could start pulling out virtues which made Hannah such a godly woman. Let me just give you a few. Uh, and they're all going to start with P because I learned very early in ministry that good preachers use alliteration. What's alliteration? All the points start with the same letter. So just as important as my Bible is when I, when I prepare a sermon, my thesaurus is right there next to me so I can find words that you're not getting this, are you? But it's okay. So number one, she had a passion, begins with P. She had a passion for God's best. The first thing you see about Hannah in chronicling her godliness was that she had a passion. She didn't have to get it through her husband. She got it because she had it. She's saying to God, she's pouring out her heart, she's pouring out her soul. God, what have I done wrong that I should have no children? I seek your will, I seek your glory, I seek your best. I seek your response. Please, Lord, show me. She's not selfish. She desires the child as a sign of God's love and blessing and as a fulfillment that, 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 that Lord God, you will hear the cries of my heart. So a godly mother, she's not seeking to have a child. You know how some people have a child to save a marriage? My goodness, that's the worst reason to have. Don't put the pressure on the baby. You have a child because you already have a marriage. You, a child needs to go into an atmosphere, an environment of love, not an environment where they're, it's, it's up to you, kid, to save this thing. That, that's not fair. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you were that child. And that's not what Hannah's doing here. She's saying, God, please, I desire to raise up a son or daughter for your glory. So she has a passion for God's best. Her passion turns into a prayer. Verse 10, in her deep anguish, 
Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty. Very key there, Lord Almighty. That's the name of God, El Shaddai. El Shaddai, Elohim Shaddai, literally means the all-sufficient one. The word comes from the word, the Hebrew word for breast, Shaddai, Shad. And in God, all that I need is in him. I am nurtured. I am, I am given what I lack. When I don't have what I, I seek, I run to you. The Lord is my Shaddai. I shall not want. Why? Because in El Shaddai, I have everything I need. God used that name when he spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, go sacrifice your son Isaac. And they didn't bring, they, remember Isaac says, I see the wood and I see the tools, but where is the lamb? And Abraham says, El Shaddai, he will provide what we need. And the beauty of this is that, again, you, you, sometimes we get passionate. You know what happens to our passion? Our passion turns into anger. Our passion doesn't turn to worship. It turns to whining. And we start going and get mad at God and get bitter at God. But the beauty here is that Hannah, her passion turns to worship, turns to a prayer. And, 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 and she's saying, El Shaddai, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him what? I will give him back to you for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. The first response of Hannah was to go to God. She understood that God and God alone was the one who could provide what she could not, even Elkanah could not provide. So she prays and she prays on and she prays on. And something interesting happens in verse 12. Because this, is, this shows you what was happening in that culture. So many people were not coming to Shiloh to worship. They came out of obligation. And once they fulfilled their holy duties of obligation, they got drunk. They went out and partied. That's why there were probably just as many bars around Shiloh. Because people, more people had... Had not, they lost their faith in God, so they checked it off their list and then they'd go and have a drink. How do we know that? Well, look at what it says in verse 12. Has she kept on praying to the Lord? Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. You know what I love about this? How many of you ever. When, I've been a Christian since 1975. I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me and say, are you high? <laughs> I'm telling you the God's like, what, what are you smoking? What are you drinking? Because they, right away, you know, uh, they interpret your joy as something that is dependent on some kind of substance. But my joy is not dependent on a substance. It's all locked in the Savior. And so, and so it's funny because in the Bible, what else did they think 
that the spokesman for God was drunk. Come on. When else did they assume that somebody was drunk when they weren't? Remember on the day of Pentecost? And the Spirit came down, and they're all speaking in tongues, and they're, and they're celebrating God, and the people around them, they didn't say, what a holy movement that's happening. They said what? Who opened the bars early? I believe with all my heart that there's not enough expressed joy in this place. That's why people think they got to go someplace else to experience real joy. But I'm here to tell you, I don't need a bar. I don't need some substitute because the joy of the Lord is your what? Strength. So party like, it's, like, like Jesus is real. And celebrate. Celebrate the Lord. Let him think we're drunk. We're not drunk on wine. We're drunk on the Holy Spirit who controls us. And that's what was happening. Eli assumes just another, just another deadbeat. <laughs> but Hannah's only doing what Abraham and Sarah did. Hannah's only doing what Zacharias and Elizabeth are going to do. Hannah sought God. And her passion turned where all passion for God's best must turn to prayer. So she has a passion, she prays, and then she makes a promise. A promise for God's best. Verse 11, and she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, El Shaddai, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I'm going to give him back to you. Here's a promise she's making. I'm going to give him back to you for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Now you're saying, what's that all about? Now, it's funny because these days, Joel is uh, sporting pretty long hair. And you may say, why are you allowing that? Because, number one, I understand why he's growing his hair long. Do you see me? If you Google my son, Rudy, who's the pastor of a church in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, you'll notice that he too is suffering from. So Joel has said to me, hey, I'm keeping my hair as long as I can. <laughs> and I don't blame him. The hair here has nothing to do with, uh, with the fact that he's afraid of going bald. She's making a pledge. She's actually making what's known as the Nazarite vow. Nazarite has nothing to do with Nazareth. <laughs> In Numbers chapter 6, the Nazarite vow, Nazir meaning consecrated, set apart, means that I promise you, God, that my child will be set apart to you and you alone. And when a Jewish believer wanted to give himself totally to God, he would take the Nazarite vow. No strong drink, no razor to his head, uh, taking no care of what he's looking like. He's totally devoted to God, so he stays away from the feasts and the festivals and the activities, and he's totally consecrated to God. We know of two individuals in the Bible who took the Nazarite vow and kept it all of their lives. One was Samson. The other one, anybody, wanna, anybody know the other one? Did I put it in your notes? Maybe you do. John the Baptist. John the Baptist, old Harry in the desert. 
They took that vow. Do you know that Michael Landon, as a kid, took that vow too? So if you ever wanted to know why he had long hair, because he really, Michael Landon really did have a heart for, for things of God, and, and uh, it, his son is following in his footsteps, and I, that's extra, but I just thought I'd share that with you. I got to, I got to hang out with Michael Landon Jr. at, at, at a thing re, not too long ago. But my point is, is that Hannah is making a promise. Now listen to me. You can make a, hey, when we do baby dedications up here, normally we dedicate them at what age? Come on, they're babies. So parents are saying, yep, I promised them to God. No matter what. But you understand, listen to me, that you can make a promise while they're a baby, but they're going to have to make the decision when they get old enough. So this is so cool. Hannah makes the promise to God when Samuel's a baby, but because of his godly heritage, Samuel owned the promise as an adult. And he continued to be a man after God's own heart in a day where there weren't many. The other thing is that Hannah, by making that promise, knows that when he gets to be proper age, he's not going to live with Hannah. He's going to live serving the Lord. And a lot of times, parents, again, when we have the babies up here, it's easy to say, yes, whatever my child wants to do. And, and then when they become, you know, of age, they may say to you, I know I just got a scholarship to MIT, but God's calling me to the mission field in the Middle East. And parents go, here we go. Mary is one of the prime examples. She didn't understand what was happening, but she never got in the way of the will of God for Jesus. And I love that. Now, another thing I want you to see is that Hannah could not make that vow, could not make that promise, because in that day, women could not make vows or promises. So she would not be able to make that vow or promise without the support of who? Her husband. But Elkanah was all in. Men, do you understand why you need to be a part of this? Because, because a godly mother presents her child to God with her husband's blessing. Hannah promised God, you give him to me and I'll give him right back to you. And that really needs to be the commitment of all of us. They don't belong. Train up a child in the way they should go. Children, God gives us, doesn't mean they're all going to be ministers, but they all should be gods. And belonging to God is not a seasonal thing. It's a forever thing. Amen? Now before I'm done, really quickly, I want us to look at Two other names that we've seen, and because this is going to the contrast is going to be amazing. Uh, we keep hearing about two other guys, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas. I've never done a baby dedication for a Hophni or a Phineas, and I don't know if Phineas and Ferb were named after this, but anyway. Look at the contrast. By contrast to Hannah, 1 Samuel 1.3 says, Year after year this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. 
Imagine being a priest of the Lord and you have no knowledge of God whatsoever. And you don't care to know God and you have no desire to know God. And yet they're the priests. Hophni and Phinehas, nothing mentioned about their mother, right? And we know that Eli was not a good father. He never corrected them. Oh, baby. Correction is, doesn't mean I hate you. As a matter of fact, when you don't give correction, you're basically saying, I don't really care about you. Nobody raised them. They raised themselves, and they came out like they came out. 1 Samuel 2.17. The sin of these young men was very great in the Lord's sight. For they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. They never offered the good part to God. They took the best part for themselves. They hated the whole idea of offering to God. 1 Samuel 2.22 says, Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing. And how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Nothing new under the sun, right? Here's the preacher's kids. They're having sexual relationships with the women at the door to the, to the worship center. And they're vile. They're evil through and through. 1 Samuel 2.26, though, in contrast to Hophni and Phinehas, it says, and the child Samuel grew and was in favor with the Lord and also with men. You know who else? You know where else? It says the very same things about Jesus in the New Testament. In 1 Samuel 4, 17, a messenger comes to Eli and says, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the Philistines now have stolen the ark of God. The ark of God has been stolen. And when that message gets to Eli, he fell, he fell off his seat. And he was back by the gate, side of the gate. And when he fell, he broke his neck and died. And his daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife, was pregnant. She heard the news about the ark being stolen and her husband and her brother-in-law dying on the same day. Her father, now her father-in-law is dead. Her husband's dead. The brother of the husband is dead. So she starts to go into labor, and she has a baby. And while she's having the baby, she dies. And the baby is named Ichabod. Ichabod, only Ichabod I ever heard of was Ichabod Crane, and the, of course the legend of Sleepy Hollow. But Ichabod, you know what Ichabod means? The glory of God departed. Meaning this, we can be here and the glory of God has no obligation to be here with us. Church of Laodicea, they were meeting in Jesus' name. Unfortunately, they didn't invite Jesus. Do you want to be known as a family where the glory of God departed? Do we want to be known as a church in such a time as this? Well, God used to reign there, but they kicked him out. The glory of God has departed. Isn't it funny that the very child that's being raised up is going to bring the glory back to Israel? God always has a, has a people, and God always has a remnant. And so here, here all of this is happening. And, and in chapter 2, boy, if I had time, chapter 2, Hannah sings a song. She's, she's singing. And, and the beauty of it, and, and if you get nothing else out of today, grab this, okay? Either you're going to raise a hallelujah, or you're just going to raise hell. Either we're going to raise a hallelujah, or we're going to raise hellions. Eli was the high priest. No guarantee his sons were godly kids. They weren't. And on their watch, the glory of God 
went and left the building. Samuel was raised by Hannah, who loved her husband, loved her God, had a passion, had, had a heart to pray, made promises to God she kept. And Samuel was raised as a hallelujah. Do you understand that's why it's such a privilege to raise children and grandchildren? And even if God has never given you a child or grandchild, I can't tell you how necessary people are who will come and stand in the gap for those who grew up with no mother, no father, no grandparent. Amen? And maybe that's your call today. Hannah's song. Man, God is lifted up in Hannah's song in chapter 2. God is called holy. He's a rock. He's full of knowledge. He brings death, gives life, brings poverty, gives wealth. He guards the step of the faithful ones. Those who align themselves with him will never, ever be shamed. As we close today, on this Mother's Day, how about you women? How about you ladies? Are you raising a hallelujah? Are you, are you, are you, are you not only telling your kids to pray, are you, are you praying so they can join you? Grandparents, we're stepping in. How are you doing? Women who aren't parents, you know, do you understand that, that, that God calls you the apple of his eye? You are his cherished treasure. And men, you're not off the hook. Men, look at how the story of Hannah is so successful because Elkanah was a godly man. Would you agree with me? We need more godly men for such a time as this. We need more men who will stand up and not look for the exit. <laughs> as we close today, maybe you have a, have a child who's wayward. Maybe you have a child. You love them. Remember the prodigal son story is about the God who's waiting for the kids to come home. If you've got a child, pray for them before you leave here today. Pray for them by name. And kids, some of us have prodigal parents, don't we? Maybe you need to pray for mom and dad to come home. Grandma and grandpa to come back to Jesus. But as we close, we can close this by raising a sigh. <sighs> Glad it's over. Or we could raise a hallelujah. The earlier song that they sang, my testimony. If I'm not dead, I'm not done. And there's more than ever for such a time as this. We need godly people, right? To step up. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the ladies here, Lord. I pray that they're treasured and know that they're loved. I pray for the men here, God, that they'll step up their game. Sometimes we just assume everything is all right without doing a little digging, without investing. So many times, again, Lord, work and, and, and hobbies get the best of us and our kids are just yearning to be with us. Lord, I pray for anybody here because mom is no longer here and, and I know that hurt is real and I know the pain is, is, is real. But God, rather than then escaping and running to a place where there is no hope, I pray they'll run into your arms right now. And find in you, maybe not everything we want, but I know because of you that no matter what happens on this planet, in the end, I'm going to a family banquet that is just going to be literally not only to die for, it's to die to get to, but it's going to be to live for. Amen? So church, let's raise a hallelujah right here, right now.